Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number six. Try exercise on for size. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Want to know one of the best ways to sleep great at night? and feel great all day, you will want to sweat the details. Because today, I'll be showing you that the opposite of exercise and physical activity is death. And I'll be discussing the benefits to physical activity, ranging from sleep and mood to expanding lifespan. Then I'll talk a little bit about how this may help your sleep and when to exercise as well. So to dive right in, according to the 2016 American Heart Association scientific statement, the average U.S. adult spends only 10 to 12 minutes a day getting at least moderate physical activity. And the definitions vary a little bit, but often this uh, means about a 50 to 70% maximal effort as defined by your heart rate, which for a 25-year-old is a heart rate of about 115 beats per minute. For a 45-year-old, about 105 beats per minute. And for a 65-year-old, that's about 95 beats per minute. So on average, the, the U.S. adult population achieves only about 10 to 12 minutes a day of getting their heart rate up to about 100 beats a minute. And they also spend about eight hours standing or walking slowly or with a heart rate raised to no faster than about 80 to 90 beats per minute for most adults as well as about eight hours of just sitting and not doing anything. That is a lot of time doing little to nothing. And what this lack of activity, what this sedentary behavior does, is that it slows down your metabolic rate, reduces calorie consumption, and since weight change is a rather simple calculation of calories taken in minus calories burned, When diet is unchanged and activity reduces, you gain weight. In that 10 to 12 minutes a day, this is an average that includes marathon runners, professional athletes, fitness fanatics who get several hours a day of high-intensity exercise, and the two-thirds of American adults who achieve zero, zero moderate to vigorous exercise a day. This sedentary lifestyle of achieving little to no significant physical activity has the highest cost. Your life. One recently published study 
from June of 2020, followed over 8,000 Americans for almost five and a half years on average. They found that even after accounting for physical activity, that those that had more sedentary time had a 45 to 52% increased risk of dying from cancer. So even after accounting for any time spent with light, moderate, or vigorous exercise, it is the time spent in zero activity that is another major influence on your risk of death. In fact, they saw that swapping or just substituting 30 minutes a day of light activity, basically standing, instead of 30 minutes of sitting out of those nearly eight hours of it a day, that just that 30 minutes less a day of sitting was associated with a reduced risk of cancer death by 8%. And if you swap out 30 minutes instead of sitting, of, of instead doing some moderate physical activity, again, getting your heart rate closer to that you know, 90 to 100, 115 beats per minute, 30 minutes of that a day dropped the risk of dying from cancer by 31%. Just from not sitting for 30 minutes a day. A separate 2017 study with 15 years of follow-up of adults 35 years and older found that being more sedentary was associated with a 4.3-fold increased risk in dying from cancer and a 5.5-fold increased risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. Now, on the flip side, they found that the top third of people with the most physical activity had a 66% lower risk of all causes of death, including a 90% reduction in the risk of dying from cardiovascular disease. And we're not done. A 2019 meta-analysis looked at 39 different studies on sedentary behavior and health risks in over 36,000 people across several continents, and they found that any, any physical activity at all, regardless of the intensity, is associated with a lower risk of death. And that those in the less than average activity range experienced a 52% reduction in death. And those in the top 25% of activity benefited from a 73% lower risk of death. Just light activity alone, again, about standing or walking, light activity alone in the less than average range still dropped the death risk by 40%. And those with more sedentary time had a 2.6 times increased higher death rate from all causes compared to the 25% of people with the least amount of sedentary time. So any, any movement at all saves your life. And sitting is a death sentence. You've heard me say before, and I'll say it again over and over, that one of the most common causes of poor sleep in general, and insomnia more specifically, is sleep-disordered breathing. In a 2020 cross-sectional study of over 155,000 adults found that after accounting for several known risk factors, including weight and body mass index, that any increased level of physical activity, including simply walking, was associated with a lower prevalence of sleep apnea. In fact, a 2016 meta-analysis found that even when somebody has sleep-disordered breathing, that a supervised exercise program, which typically was 8 to 12 weeks of 30 to 45 minute sessions three times a week using treadmills or cycling or resistance training, that these interventions lowered the frequency of obstructive breathing events 
improved daytime sleepiness. And additionally, several of the studies showed that there were also improvements in weight and exercise capacity, improvements in cholesterol, as well as the overall quality of life. Now, unfortunately, exercise is, is not an adequate treatment by itself for sleep apnea, but it certainly makes a positive difference. What else counts as exercise? Well, you know, of course, there are aerobic exercises, running, biking, jogging, swimming, the elliptical. There's Tai Chi, yoga, strength training or resistance training, really anything, sport, basketball, anything that, that gets your heart rate up counts as exercise. So you know that exercise is definitely good for your general health, but exercise is also great for mental health as well. A 2020 study showed that in adults aged 20 to 35, that substituting, again, just 30 minutes of sitting time for 30 minutes of light activity, again, for a 20 to 35-year-old, that's getting their heart rate up into the low 90s, just that extra 30 minutes, lowered stress levels by 11%, improved their mood by 16%. These small substitutions not only improved their emotional health, but when they did 30 minutes of moderate exercise instead of just light activity, they also saw a 22% reduction in their body fat percentage just from 30 minutes a day of not sitting. And compared to moderate physical activity, more vigorous physical activity is even more effective. And vigorous physical activity, again, is when you get your, your heart rate closer to 70% or more of your maximal heart rate. But you can find calculators online, but it's easily calculated as uh, the number 220 minus your age. And that's about your, your maximal heart rate. A 2014 study showed that compared to moderate activity, that those who got vigorous physical activity experienced even lower levels of perceived stress. They had greater stress resilience. They had lower depressive symptoms. Their perceived pain was lower as well, and they had better sleep quality and objectively had longer total sleep time as well as more deep sleep and more rapid eye movement sleep. And again, that's vigorous compared to moderate, not even compared to, to no physical activity at all. And these modifiable effects, you know, they can be achieved as an intervention, meaning it's not just that happier better sleeping people exercise more, causing some of the above findings. For instance, one study looked at what starting a jogging program could do. What they did is they had these individuals five days a week, every weekday for three weeks, they went jogging for 30 minutes at a time. And they found that with three weeks of, of, of jogging, so 150 minutes a week, led to a shorter time to fall asleep, a greater proportion of the night spent in deep sleep, that high-quality sleep. During the daytime, they had improved mood. They had improvement in their concentration. And they had decreased sleepiness from start to finish, as well as improvements compared to a control group who were just asked to track their sleep and mental health measures over that three-week period. And it's not just aerobic exercise that counts. In fact, the body of evidence supporting less vigorous exercise is rapidly growing. A 2020 meta-analysis of over 1,800 older adults found that doing Tai Chi exercise improved general quality of life, improved their mental health quality of life, improved their physical health quality of life, lowered their depression levels, 
and lowered psychological distress. Exercise is good for our cognitive health as well. Studies show that exercise can have an immediate effect on memory consolidation, performance on both procedural learning tasks and remembering text, remembering words improves with exercise. And this is regardless of whether the exercise is done before or after the initial memory encoding, before or after the learning event took place, indicating that exercise both prepares the brain for learning new memories and it helps to consolidate and reinforce recently acquired memories after the fact. Exercise has been shown to blunt the errors in learning and memory caused by sleep deprivation. It makes us less affected by sleep loss. It doesn't normalize learning and thinking after sleep deprivation, but it does reduce the blow even after 40 straight hours of wakefulness. Exercise has also been shown to, to lessen the fatigue experienced from sleep deprivation among long flight pilots. That pilots who have a, a program of exercise, that even when they have to be in the cockpit for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours straight, that they are less prone to fatigue if they've got a background in some exercise. So exercise is good for our lifespan. It's good for our physical well-being. It's good for our mental health. It's good for our cognition. And exercise, of course, is good for our sleep. As we've seen, there are immediate and sustained benefits to sleep health from exercise, including a shorter time to fall asleep, more total sleep, and more high-quality sleep, in addition to improved daytime function. That is to say, there are substantial improvements in insomnia from exercise alone. The most robust finding across decades of research is that exercise increases the amount and depth of our sleep. That is, it increases our N3, or the third stage of non-REM sleep, also known as slow-wave sleep or deep sleep. This has been demonstrated in habitual long-distance runners, even after a single particularly long race of 92 kilometers. We see this effect on the young and the healthy, even after increased light activity, and certainly with moderate and and more vigorous activity. We can see this effect in young children with moderate exercise improving their total sleep and their deep sleep. We see this effect in postmenopausal women with insomnia. We see this effect in the elderly, who may achieve as much as a 71% increase in their deep sleep, according to one 2015 study. We see exercise improving the deep sleep in those with degenerative disorders like Parkinson's. The most likely mechanism for this is the second of our two main drivers of sleep. Not only does activity solidify our circadian rhythm, but exercise specifically increases our sleep drive. The chemical manifestation of sleep drive is most likely the accumulation of a chemical called adenosine. Adenosine is the final breakdown product of the number one source of energy at the subcellular level. Adenosine is also what is blocked by the most frequently used psychoactive substance in the world, caffeine. And while it is extremely difficult to actively measure chemicals in real time in human brains, animal models can provide us a lot of insight. And as suspected, studies of rats, yes, more rat studies, these demonstrate that just like sleep deprivation increases the concentration of adenosine in the brain, leading to significantly stronger deep sleep, 
a 2007 study also showed that the intensity of the level of exercise was also another main cause for increased concentration of adenosine in the brain, meaning that the greater the vigor of the exercise, the greater the concentration of adenosine and the greater and the deeper their sleep was. So when you exercise matters as well. Exercise, while not as potent as light is, see episodes four and five for a more in-depth discussion of light's effect, exercise is a circadian zeitgeber, meaning that exercise, and really all physical activity, influences the timekeeping of our body's internal clocks. It's one of the stronger cues to keep our body's clocks aligned. In particular, a 2019 study showed that exercise in the form of about an hour of moderate treadmill work shifted the body's internal clock later when the exercise was performed between 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. Less profound but still important shifts were seen when exercise was done at 7 a.m. as well as exercise between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m., causing some shifts in the internal clock to move earlier. So if we exercise late in the day, we're more likely to stay up later, fall asleep later, wake up later the next day. If we exercise earlier, we're more likely to push our body clock a little bit earlier as well, be able to fall asleep a little bit earlier, be able to wake up consistently or slightly early. Now, since the average internal clock runs a little bit long, on average about 12 minutes longer than the day, efforts to slightly advance our clock actually keep us on time for the most part. Hence the tremendous value of light in the mornings after waking. But exercising too close to your habitual sleep time will delay your internal clock, making you unable to fall asleep until later, wake up later, and all the consequences of that shifting. In fact, several studies going back to the 1970s and 80s have shown that regardless of age or gender or fitness level, exercise closer to habitual bedtime leads to worse quality sleep, including longer time to fall asleep, less sleep overall. In some studies, even showing a decrease in deep sleep, which as we've seen, this is the exact opposite of what exercise typically does for our sleep. There may be a couple of reasons for this. Most recently, a 2020 study on mice, yes, we're back to the rodent data, demonstrated that even a single episode of exercise causes a change in the peripheral clock of muscle tissue. Particularly, they saw that depending on what time of day the animals were exercised, determined whether the muscle clock was sending instructions to shift the master clock later or instructions to shift the clock earlier to this master clock located in the brain. In addition to the direct effect on gene expression of the muscle's own individual clocks, the other likely reason why exercise later in the day is problematic for sleep is likely the temperature change. Now, as we discussed in episode 3, our core body temperature actually drops in the early part of our sleep period. The cooler the environment is, the easier it is for our bodies to dump excess heat and cool itself down to achieve the lower core body temperature. That's why air drying after a warm bath is so great for your sleep, because that accelerates the heat loss and supports that drop in your core body temperature. Now, a bath with that external source of heat warming the skin leads to dilation of your peripheral blood vessels so that as soon as you remove yourself from that warmer bath water and enter the cooler air, which is perhaps the difference between, say, 
100 degrees of the water and 70 degrees in the bathroom air, these dilated blood vessels are really well positioned to release your body heat and trigger that core body temperature drop. But when we exercise, we are internally generating more heat, much different than that warm bath water. So yes, when you exercise, your vessels will dilate and you'll become more flushed. You turn red, all in an effort to normalize your core body temperature, trying to dump all this excess heat that's being generated internally, which comes from the work of exercise. But this elevated temperature is now slowing down or delaying that expected drop in your temperature that accompanies the early phase of your sleep period. So when we raise our temperatures too close to our normal bedtimes, the exercise will delay our bedtimes because that temperature drop is now more difficult, resulting in a delay in achieving that temperature drop. More difficult, but not impossible. In fact, Lending further support to the exercise-induced temperature change as the main driver of problematic sleep caused by too late physical activity was a 2019 study looking at what they call cryostimulation after late-day exercise. In this study, they had habitually physically active men run for 25 minutes, alternating at 65% and 85% of their max effort, so going between moderate to vigorous exercise over 25 minutes right before their habitual bedtime. Half of them were allowed to cool down as usual, and the other half, the other half, get this, they were exposed to 40 below zero temperatures plus a five mile an hour wind for three minutes. Yikes. But they saw that these individuals who were rapidly and very aggressively cooled down experienced better sleep quality. They had more slow wave sleep, and despite the exposure to frostbite level conditions, they actually had lower pain levels compared to the individuals that exercised late at night right before bed and had their usual cool-down process. So to summarize and how we can implement some of this to become better rested, understand that exercise is fantastic for your sleep. After a single episode, and certainly regular exercise, improves your ease to fall asleep, it improves your total sleep time, your depth and quality of sleep, it improves insomnia, It's associated with a lower risk for sleep apnea, one of the major causes of insomnia. Exercise also improves your mood, reduces stress, and improves stress resilience. It improves your concentration, improves your memory. And don't forget, more time, even just standing instead of sitting, dramatically, dramatically reduces your risk of death. If you want to quintuple your risk of dying from a heart attack or stroke, stay seated. But if you want to drop your risk of dying from cancer, from cardiovascular disease by up to 90%, aim for 30 minutes, just 30 minutes a day of moderate intensity exercise instead of sitting. It will literally save your life. Make exercise not just a habit, but part of your lifestyle to be well-rested. Pick the activity of your choice. Make it enjoyable and stick with it. And be sure that the timing of that exercise doesn't interfere with your ability to cool off at night to get good sleep. So be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review, a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear more about on the podcast. And head on over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.